0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sandals Church. Our vision as a church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We hope you enjoy this message. we begin our time today, I want to ask you this question. How often do you experience or feel burnt out? Now, maybe you're like Fredo every day. Like I'm wearing burnout, like it's going out of style, right? Or maybe you're just like, man, I feel good. I'm in church. I just sang. I'm alive. I feel feel ready to go. Now, wherever you kind of are on that spectrum, here's the truth. Uh, Burnout has a way of finding you. You know, all of us are really familiar with the, uh, the battery icon on our smartphones. It tells us how much life we got left. And, and just imagine for a second if our very own bodies uh, were able to display a similar kind of icon. Like maybe like on our shoulder or like our forehead somewhere. Just think about right now in your life, where are you with that? Like, are you at 100%? Are you halfway? You're looking for an outlet to plug into so you get back online? Where are you? You see, the truth is burnout might be closer to you than you think. There's a UC Berkeley professor by the name of Christina uh, Maslach, who's been studying burnout for over 50 years, since the 1970s. And she writes that burnout has these three components that we should be aware of. The first is this, we are emotionally exhausted. And what she means by that is over time, the, the pressure and the stress that we are sitting under has just been on us for too long. I think all of us to some degree can acknowledge that, especially over the last two years, that we have been under for two straight years a kind of an emotional stress for too long. Whether we call it 2020, the pandemic, or whatever issue you want to label it, man, we have been sitting under it for too long. The second component that we experience is cynicism, where we once believed that we were doing our best work and now we're just doing the bare minimum. (laughs) And what felt as kind of a hopeful outlook has now turned just to skepticism. Doubt. You always find a way to kind of twist things for the worst. We become cynical. The third component she mentions is that we blame. And that blame turns inward. And so we kind of look at ourselves like, man, why, why can't I do this anymore? What is wrong with me? Why am I not good at this? I remember feeling like that just about a year and a half ago. Like, why, why is it so hard for me just to pray? Why is it hard just to read my Bible? Like, I don't feel like I'm good at this <laughs> and I'm a pastor. Now, if our insecurities get the best of us that day, the blame turns outward, right? Why are you that way? What's wrong with you? How come you're not good at what you do? Right. You're the reason and you're the cause for my burnout. You see, we can kind of think of it like this. If exhaustion is you and I coming to kind of this, this breaking point where we have zero capacity left, burnout is you starting at that breaking point and pushing through it and going for another day, another week, another month, another year. You see, the way I think of burnout is kind of like this. We can define burnout as when the most sacred part of your life can no longer hold up to the demands of your life. Like your soul, the very core of who you are can no longer deal with you and your schedule and your responsibilities and your tasks. You are burnt out. This is a chaotic experience that we have. And it's kind of a subtle sound though. If we're being honest, uh, being burnt out in chaos is really just the background noise to our lives right now. It's the soundtrack that just kind of subtly plays in the background and helps you make through the chaos of what we experience. Now, for most of us, this happens because we are convinced that if I'm going to be an important person, if my life is going to matter, then I need to stay busy. Like, it's crazy how many people I talk to today, and they usually go to these two things when I ask them, how are you doing? They say, I'm good, and I'm doing a lot. I'm busy. Got a lot going on. Like, I rarely hear someone say, I'm just bored. I got nothing to do right now. It's just not in us, and I think that's because beneath the surface, we long to know that we matter and that our lives are important, and so busyness is kind of the thing that we subject ourselves to, to validate our existence as people. And this creates chaos. And so the holy shift that we are invited to make as a church today is to create sacred space in our weeks. We're invited to move from this chaotic place to this ordered place where we experience a sacred space. And in order to understand what this looks like, because I going really like sacred space, we're actually going to look at the first week in the entire universe, the week of creation, when God began it all. And so we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1, and Moses writes these words, and then I'll pray for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It's at the end of chapter one. And then hear these words in the beginning of chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are gathered together today. We are grateful for that. And God, we realize too that you have gathered with us. And so God, in the same way that you spoke life through creation, would you speak life into your creatures today? And in so doing, would you help us understand and even experience sacred space in the chaos of our own lives? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Now from time to time, um, I love just to kind of take a break from the day or whatever's going on and sit on the couch with Ashley and scroll through TikTok. I really like doing this. I like to kind of joke around that I'm working on a uh, two-year degree at TikTok University. Because I'm always learning so much. Like, there's a a lot of good stuff on there. Not ashamed to admit that. Uh, One of the things I really enjoy on there are videos of people who kind of uh, show this kind of before picture of their pantry or of their closet or of their bedroom, their kitchen, their garage. And then they show the after this complete renovation. Like, they take this mess, this chaos, and they bring order and structure and cleanliness to it. Man, it is, like, one of the most satisfying things to experience for myself. I love those kinds of videos. And maybe you're like that too, or maybe for you it's, you know, it's the cooking ones where like just the, the raw chaos of all these ingredients just kind of collashing in the, in the kitchen. Collashing, I just made up a new word, collashing. <laughs> Colliding in the kitchen, and then it turns into something beautiful, something delicious that you wanna definitely eat one day. And I think there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is we all have this kind of divine itch to bring order out of the chaos of what we see. And the reason why that is is because we are made in the image of our Creator. We reflect Him. And that's exactly what we see here early on in the most profound, talked about, read about, stolen book in the universe, the Bible. These are the opening words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's kind of the summary statement for the entire chapter if you just hear those words. But then Moses goes further and he writes these writes this, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's chaos, darkness, empty. It's without void. This, This is not any kind of place where life can grow. And I love what we see God doing. He speaks life into it. Man, who today needs a God who can speak life into their chaos? Who here needs a God who doesn't settle for just the darkness, but actually breaks through the darkness with actually light? And what's so profound about this a narrative, this, this really song and this poem that we have here in Genesis 1 is the way that God separates the darkness and the light, the land from the seas. Because for uh, Jewish scriptures and in Jewish tradition, uh, both the waters and the darkness were symbols of judgment, where life could not flourish there. And I love that God breaks through that with a word and with his spirit. And what he does is he separates light from darkness, the waters from the dry ground, but notice that he doesn't eradicate the darkness, he contains it, He calls it night. He doesn't do away with the, the chaotic depths of the seas, he contains them, gives them a boundary and a marker and he calls them the seas from the dry ground. This is the kind of God that we are interacting with in creation. Now, unfortunately, though, what happens when we typically read creation stories, especially if you are from an evangelical American church and you read Genesis one, is the question always turns, well, how did God do it? How? You know, was it six days? Were they literal days? Were they figurative days? Was there like a little bit of evolution sprinkled? We are so fascinated with the how and we miss the beauty of the why. And here's what I mean by that remember Genesis is written by Moses. Moses, the one who led the Exodus, who brought God's people out of Egypt, who had been oppressed for over 400 years. And so for that span of time, they're in Egypt getting the Egyptian education, getting the Egyptian theology. And so when Moses starts to pen under the inspiration of God, he says, no, 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 no. This is the beginning of everything. You are not defined by being just brick makers. You are not just defined by your productivity and what you can do. You are just not a slave. You're free. And this is how life actually began. In the beginning, God. Elohim is the word. He created all of this, not just by accident, but out of purpose. With, With love in mind, with beauty in mind, with beauty in mind, with goodness in mind. This is who you are, and this is who you belong to. Let's settle and just set aside the the how question for just a moment so that we can embrace the gift of the creation and, and embrace the rhythm that we experience and see in this story. Six days of creation, and then a seventh day of rest, our calendar. And so what I want us to take note of is this first. In a similar way that God brings order out of chaos in his creation, we bring order out of chaos in our calendars. That's what we need to be mindful of. You see, there's no mistake that every culture everywhere in the world right now follows a seven-day calendar. This is how we function. And the last serious time that anyone tried to change the seven-day calendar was actually 1793 in France. They moved it to a 10-day calendar. And what actually happened to them well, suicide went up. Mental health became a crisis, even in that era. Happiness went down, and guess what? Productivity went down, too, in a 10-day. Now, what modern studies have shown to us is that productivity actually begins to peak at the hours of 50 and 55, which is interesting because if you do the math, that equates to about six days of work. Incredible. Six days to work one day to enjoy, one day to rest, one day for us to once again experience order out of the chaos, to find ourselves experiencing a kind of sacred space. That's what God had that very first week, and that's what we're after. And the reason that is is because, man, life right now doesn't have sacred space. Life right now doesn't have a kind of rhythm to it, which is why we need this kind of shift towards sacred space. So first of all, here's what sacred space is. Our time together will really follow these three basic questions, what it is, why we need it, and how we experience it. So first of all, sacred space is this, if you're taking note, it is a period of time woven into the fabric of creation, listen now, to rest, to worship, and to delight. Notice what Moses says in the beginning of chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Take a moment and just consider that God rested. He rested. But my job, God rested. But my kids, you don't know my kids, Fredo. God rested. But my ambitions, my dreams, the things I got to do, God rested. But the financial crisis, Bitcoin, God, God rested. He rested. But how about all my trips and my escapes? God rested. Just receive that word right now that God rested. How should we begin to reflect him? If he did it, should we not also engage and find ourselves in this sacred space? You see, it's a, it's a period of time. In other words, it's a delegated moment in the course of the week where we stop. That's what Sabbath means. Shabbat in Hebrew means just to stop. But it's also to worship because God blessed the day and he made it holy. In other words, he set it apart. He made it a sacred moment in time that we have. So ask yourself right now, do you, right now, in your own calendars, have this sacred space? Do you have a moment in your week, in the chaos of what you experience called life? Do you have sacred space where you pause? And it's not just inactivity, it's worship, where your whole self is before God and you delight. You see, what God says there in the text at the end of the sixth day, is it is very good. It's a phrase he uses constantly every day after he is done doing what he makes. It's good, it's good. After the sixth day when he creates the human race, it is very good. You see, to find yourself in a sacred moment with God is to be able to say those words too. It is good. The burrito is good. My spouse is good. This moment is good. Life is hard, God. This week has been hard, but it's good. Do you have sacred space? And the reason why I said this is a period of time, listen now, that's woven into the fabric of the universe and into creation is because you and I cannot safely break this rhythm any more than you and I can safely break the law of gravity. You can't do it. Try to jump off a building. I mean, don't do that, but... (laughs) You cannot safely break the law of gravity. Something will happen to you, and something probably right now is happening to you because you cannot fall in line with this rhythm of work and worship. You don't have sacred space in your life. And you need to know that you are not a machine. You're a human being, the body and a soul. That's sacred space. And here's why we need it. This is probably pretty easy for us, but... Secondly as you're taking out second observation for us is this sacred space replenishes us from the burnout of life. What I noticed there from the passage in Genesis 2:3 is this phrase that Moses uses, then God blessed the seventh day. He blessed it. Now in this passage God only blesses 3 things. He blesses animals to go and procreate. He blesses humans to go and procreate. Amen. Praise God for that be fruitful, multiply, right? And then he blesses the day? In other words, he turns to animals and he says, be blessed, in other words, bring more life. He turns to humans, Adam and Eve, he says, be blessed, bring more life. And then he turns to a day, a moment of time, and notice what he says, bring more life. The seventh day is a life-giving day. In other words, to to bless the day is to make the day a life-giving day. Sacred space replenishes you from the burnout of what you experience. Because you and all, we, we know this, man. Like the week has a way of draining us, doesn't it? People have a way of draining us. Our tasks, our relationships, at every single moment of every day when you do something or you are with someone, you lose a part of yourself. And at some point in your week, in the chaos of what you're experiencing, you need to be replenished. And oftentimes in this stage of burnout, what is happening to you is you are trying to give something to someone that you don't actually have anymore. Or you are trying to give something or do something that God hasn't asked you to do or to give. You are outside the bounds of the rhythm that he has created for you. And so sacred space, the reason why we need it is because it replenishes us from the burnout of life. Now, man, what has just struck me so much in this time of reflection is Exodus 31, 17. Because I saw this phrase that I I really hadn't noticed ever before. And I always love when this happens, man. The Bible is just kind of fresh in the way that God snatches you and and shows you a fresh revelation. Because notice, notice what happens here in Exodus 31. As Moses is receiving the command to Sabbath in this particular part of Exodus now, I say Exodus 31, everyone's like, what? Because we only read the first part of Exodus. And so in your annual reading plan that you started in 2022, Exodus 31 is about the spot where you just die out. (laughs) Like you're just done reading the Bible, right? Which is probably why we missed it. But he uses these words, referring to the Sabbath, the day of rest. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now we know that but notice he adds this phrase, and was refreshed. God was refreshed? How does a God who never sleeps get refreshed? How does a God who doesn't eat anybody or anything get refreshed? This doesn't make sense in our American Western theological concepts and boxes we have for God, but the Old Testament doesn't care about us. <laughs> it says what it says. God was refreshed. The word, the Hebrew word there is nafash. In other words, uh, God had life. Another way to translate it is breathe or soul. One translator, he kind of goes out on a limb. He says God reselfed himself. It's wild, right? So God works, he gives us creation, and then he refreshed himself. It's hard to make sense of. It bends my brain. I'm not trying to give any answers. I'm not trying to be heretical, but that's amazing to me. You know, we get so excited with our weeks. Like, man, we were productive. I killed my inbox today. This meeting was amazing. Like, I did a lot, but like, have you seen the Milky Way? <laughs> we're so fascinated by what we can produce, and yet, It's so little in comparison to what God does. And he decides he gets a day to be refreshed, Moses says, he's refreshed. And our invitation is to mimic God in this way, to build and find a moment in our week where it's sacred space to be refreshed, to resist and to fight against the burnout. Because here's the thing about Israel at the time, they never had refreshment in Egypt. You're a slave. Every day you're a slave. All you do is make things that slaves make. Pharaoh profited off their depletion in the same way that our world, our system that we operate under profits off you being tired. Consumerism depends on your depletion. Why? Because mature, healthy, rested, replenished people don't have to buy everything they see. But depleted people, oh, we are addicts to our stuff. Depleted people love to scroll, depleted people love to gossip, depleted people love just to binge Netflix because we just need another moment to escape our lives that are draining us. Depleted people need to sit in the system and the system profits off it, just like Pharaoh. See, he's not maybe out there in the pyramid anymore, but he's on our screens, he's in our minds, you didn't do enough this week, you gotta do more, you gotta get ahead. All your buddies got Bitcoin going. You got nothing in your safe. Like, what are you doing? That's not a personal story or anything, but. <laughs> we live and function in a world where depletion is just the air that we breathe. And people profit off it. We are made to find in sacred space replenishment, refreshment, to be refueled. This is why we need it. Some of your guys' relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with your work, is a direct result of you living and operating from a place of depletion and not replenishment. You need sacred space. You need it to change your life. You need it to change everything about you. God was refreshed. God enjoyed it. Now, here's how I think we can experience it. Let me be real, real practical at this point. A few things. We prioritize it, we share it, and we receive it. First thing, this is how we experience it. We prioritize sacred space in our calendars. Think about it like this. You come across someone in your day, and you're like, yo, we should hang out. Yeah, let's hang out. Let's Let's get together. I haven't seen you, man. You've been in your house. I was sick let us get together. Okay, bye. Nothing ever happens. You didn't prioritize them. Like, if you have a conversation like that, which I do a lot at church, which is a shame to me, you gotta prioritize them. Oh, you wanna hang out? When? Where? What are we eating? Put it in the calendar. How many of you actually prioritize your moment with God, the, the moment when you will worship? Because yes, the story talks about rest, but involved in rest is worship. Involved in rest is a time that is sacred, it's a holy day. That word holy is the only, actually sorry, the first time that holy is used in scripture to refer to a day, in other words, it's set apart. When in your week do you set time, do you prioritize time to worship God? We prioritize time to work because we need money, to shop because we gotta look good, to eat because we gotta survive, to be with people because we gotta keep up our social cues, When do we prioritize time to worship God? Put it in your calendar. Make time for it. Because the the subtle change that is happening over these last two years is church and the way that we experience church is radically transforming, both for the good and for the bad. Case in point, look where I'm standing. (laughs) We're in this studio filming this. It's different now. Times are different. But we still should prioritize worship, prioritize sacred space. Now, there's another issue though that I want to address with this because for a lot of people, especially over the last two years, the church has been exposed for a lot of its hypocrisy. Not only have we walked through a pandemic, political issues, racial tension, but also the church has not functioned as the church. Scandal after scandal goes viral. And so for some of us, even those like us in the millennial generation like me, But even uh, people in Gen Z who are born 96 and after, right? You have this suspicion about the validity of the institution of the church. And that keeps you at times away from it. And so we've created this mantra that's very commonplace today because church content is so accessible without the church people, (laughs) which is kind of nice. But so for a lot of us, we end up just saying things like, well, I'm into Jesus, but not the church. I'm into him. but but not the people. And some of that really is rooted in pain. I'll be honest. You don't trust the church. You've been hurt by the church. And listen, I want to just say on behalf of that, I'm sorry. It's wrong. It should have never happened. We at Sandals Church will do our absolute best to not be what you've experienced before. I say that sincerely. We want you here. We think... That church can not only be the place where you are broken, but it can also be the place where you get healed. That could happen for you. It really can. You know, Eugene Peterson, after he translated the entire Bible, brilliant guy. I mean, on any given day, I'm lucky if I translate one Greek word. (laughs) This man did the whole Bible. He concluded this and said these words, There are no successful congregations in Scripture Let that sit in. In other words, we're messy. There's a standard in scripture, but we're messy still. Now the problem though with this phrase, I'm into Jesus, but not the church. The problem is Jesus himself. Because he, lest we forget, was a man of routine. Jesus was a man of routine. He went to church. Notice here from Luke chapter four, these words. Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. Where did he go? Into the synagogue. Notice this phrase, as was his custom. This is a phrase you find all over the place in the New Testament. It was his custom to still visit the synagogue on the Sabbath day, to teach, to worship, to be with the people of God. And though Jesus criticized the synagogue, it never kept him from still going to it. And so even though Jesus was the biggest critic of the church of his day, he never abandoned the church of his day. He stayed a part of it. And so young people, man, embrace the tension that Jesus walked in. You can do it too. You can remain a part of this body. Don't be tempted to think that, man, you can just podcast the flavor of the week and be fine. There is something unique about the local body. There's something unique about it. Now, as far as the day, I know our schedules are changed too. I love the words of Paul from Romans 14. He says, One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one, listen, should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, here's the point, observes it in honor of the Lord. So pick a day and worship God. Here we got Saturday, Sunday, all across the board, many different places, online anywhere. Am I right, Jeff? Why Sandals Church? Anywhere. Pick a day. Prioritize it. Not only that, though, there's something unique because we not only prioritize sacred space, but secondly, we share sacred space with others by serving them. I love the phrase from Colossians 3. This is Paul writing. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Now, here's his description of our experience together. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Dwell among you richly. In other words, the word there, it means it inhabits your inner life richly. In other words, it's infused, it's sparked, it comes to life. Notice the preposition next. As you teach and admonish one another. In other words, Jesus's word has a unique way of dwelling within us as we teach one another and as we sing with one another. What I'm getting at is there is a special presence and power of God that we experience gathered together. It is shared sacred space. And this is a way that we serve one another. We bless each other just by showing up and singing because some days I don't have enough faith. And so I gotta hear your faith come out of your vocal cords and lift me up as I'm not only just preaching the gospel, but I'm singing it with you. This is the unique experience of a church gathered together because we would be fools to think that God only speaks through the sermon. The sermon is not just from the preacher. Listen now, the sermon is from the people because when you sit with someone, you're accountable. You're like, yo, did you hear that? Did he just say that? There's a shared experience. You're receiving the word of God and you got that couple in the back who you're so envious of because they're so cute. They're young, they're married, they just had their first kid, and their kid is so loud. <laughs> but you're still receiving the word with them. The sermon isn't just from the